0: I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My name is Elon Jacobson, and dealmaking is in my DNA. I'll be here each week talking with entrepreneurs and dealmakers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success. Expect the unexpected on a dealmaker's DNA. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Dealmaker's DNA. Have a fun one today. I have Josh Gorelick. Josh, thanks for
1: joining me. Thank you for having me. And you said you said my name right, so that's that's a positive. So. I, I cheated by asking first. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and And quite
0: frankly, I always ask because no one knows how to pronounce my name. So
1: yeah, I I'm, I
0: completely screwed it up before. So <laughs> my, my own brother yeah. can't say it properly. So, so not to worry. <laughs> So, so so, Josh has been a, uh, been passionate about technology, entrepreneurship, building relationships and partnerships. After starting an independent gaming studio, he fused his passions together in a merger uh, that gave life to Arctic uh, Leaf. And Arctic Leaf is an e-commerce agency focused on website design, development, email marketing. Uh, Josh is also a recipient of 40 Under 40 by Ottawa Business Journal, and was a finalist uh, for a top business owner in the 2020 Ottawa uh, Awards. And, and Josh has found success through you know expert innovation, creative marketing, trusting relationships, and sales strategies. So, so Josh, thanks for joining me again. And uh, I'm a little jealous because you just mentioned to me that you are in Florida.
1: I am. I am. It is. It is uh, 84 degrees and sunny outside. So, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm. I'm very
0: jealous. So, Josh, let's let's start at the beginning. You know, I always like to uh, understand the backstory behind the person. Give me a little flavor to you know sure. what you, what your what your life looked like. You know, how did you grow up?
1: yeah, i'll I'll give you the ten thousand foot view, and i'll I'll uh, share some things that I don't always share necessarily publicly, but considering we're not a PG podcast, uh, we can definitely do that. So uh, I grew up in Montreal, uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada, um, and you know, did the normal things, went to a Jewish private school, uh, played basketball in high school. Yeah, I guess you're Elon, right? So so then after university, after high school, I did actually a one year uh, seminary I did in uh, over in Israel. So I spent a year abroad. Kind of just uh, traveling a little bit, kind of understanding my my Jewish roots a little bit more, and then I uh, I went to uh, Yeshiva University in New York City, and I did my undergraduate degree in marketing. And uh, throughout this throughout my entire you know university career, I was pretty entrepreneurial. I was uh, doing bartending, maitre d', party planning. I had my own party planning company. I would hire all my fraternity brothers. I was in the Epi fraternity. And uh, so I would, I would hire all my pie buddies to work with me on the weekends and, and work in uh, different catering kind of opportunities. And then after school came back to Canada, joined a small biotech company selling green cleaning products. Um, so it was a microbial green cleaning product that was way, way, way above its time. I mean, you're like, you're walking into like a kitchen saying, I'm going to clean your grout using microbial technology. And they're like, what the fuck? Right. So um, I mean, green cleaning was, was interesting back then, but it was not that. Uh, it had not gone to that evolution. I did a couple years there, did some financing with them as well. And then uh, I, I took some time off. I started kind of dabbling my own web properties. And then fun fact, I got hired by one of the largest adult entertainment companies in the world, uh, so browsers.com and Pornhub. And I spent uh, almost two years with them working on their tube sites. So I was the product manager for uh, Keys Movies and ExtremeTube.com and i was responsible for redesigns traffic buys analytics all that kind of stuff and honestly one of of the best experiences for me because uh you know the adult entertainment industry drives a ton of innovation right so i mean you know fun fact now you think about like how vr content right now is is super hot right i mean we were talking about this 10 years ago the only problem was is the technology hadn't wasn't there the tech wasn't there for it to, to be done so uh and then after spending a couple of years there i i created or founded uh, arctic empire which is a small was a small independent gaming development studio uh building social games kind of piggybacking off the kind of the farmville zanga you know hype back in you know 2010 2011 and uh, launched a bunch of games, and then quickly realized that, like, I don't like building games. So <laughs> it's not—I I just don't find it fun. I like sitting down and playing video games with a console controller and, and all of that stuff. But to build the games just wasn't super fun for me. And then um, you know, fast forward a little bit, we we became like a digital agency focusing on mobile application development. Met my business partner Jonathan Coy, uh, who was based out of California. Uh, we were working together collaborating on a uh, uh, large-scale affiliate crowdfunding platform and then worked together for a number of years. And then one day I was joking and I said over Slack, I was like, you know what, why don't we just merge the two companies? He's like, you know what, he says, uh, he's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And I was like, "What? like, what? Like, did this, like, that was kind of the whole, that was kind of the whole thing. Like, it just, that was it. And and he flew up to Canada. We sat in my office. We whiteboarded out a structure. I'm much more of the sales and marketing kind of guru, big picture who there's a squirrel. Uh, John's much more of that, you know, COO, highly processed individual, which is great because we both complimented each other and uh, really just decided we're going to follow his methodologies from a process perspective. I took over sales and marketing fast forward four or five years, and now we're a 56 person digital agency focusing on mid market to enterprise e-commerce brands. You know, so anything between five and, you know, 50 million online and you know, 50 million offline and up, and and we work with them to scale and grow. And then in the process, I, I, I dabbled in a number of areas, I started a network marketing company called Jump Natural. Fun fact, uh, we won't go too much detail on that one, but uh, ultimately I had to walk away from it for personal reasons. It was just kind of got to the point where it was consuming my life. And uh, then I got an early stage investor in the cannabis sector, you know, with Rockguard and Medicinals that got acquired by uh, Oxley or uh, Cannabis Wheaton. and. uh, was also part of a large LP, a licensed producer in the in the Ottawa market called Nordic Leaf. We're doing a twenty five million dollar capital round to build a two hundred sixty thousand square foot facility. So I've I've dabbled in a lot of different sectors. You say you sound as ADB as I am. Yeah, exactly. And then recently we just uh, we just closed a pre seed round for a, a PRM solution that we brought to market a couple of years ago called partnerportal.io. So uh, that's a kind of a quick and dirty uh, ten thousand foot view of who Josh Karelik is that's
0: great i appreciate
1: that so you know it's quite a diverse
0: background when you were when you were growing up did you get those entrepreneurial roots from you know examples in your own household or or did you grow up more traditionally
1: i grew up more traditionally mom and dad both work for for companies my mom's a medical assistant and my dad uh, worked very heavily in manufacturing and, and kind of ran plants from a, pro, uh, a plant manager uh, my cousin though is very entrepreneurial he was one of the first individuals to build and launch uh, a business plan software in Canada and has gone on to found and support other ventures his son actually is a just broke the all-time sales record for Grant Cardone Canada so pretty cool so that was really my entrepreneurial uh exposure but it, for me I it was, it was more about, it was my coming out of the, my coming out party was really when I got to university. Um, it, it gave me that opportunity to kind of reimagine myself and reinvent myself. And I kind of quickly realized that I didn't really like working for other people. Uh, I wanted to build something of value for myself and I wanted to build it not just for now, but for, for long-term going forward. So, uh, but it, it wasn't until university that I really like caught that entrepreneurial flair uh, and and I really just kind of pushed on it uh, there afterwards. You
0: mentioned that you joined a frat during university. Did that play a role in you know shaping uh, your interest in entrepreneurship? I know you mentioned that you used some of the fraternity brothers and organized parties. You know, I, I haven't spoken to someone particularly about you know the fraternity lifestyle. I didn't join a frat, a frat and and I know American listeners, it's a far more prevalent thing in the, in the U.S. than it is in Canada. But yeah, how was that experience for you?
1: That was a really great experience for me, and it was interesting because Yeshiva University didn't have a, a fraternity. Um, it was, it was. I mean, it's an all boys Jewish school, so it was kind of like, why, why do you need a, a fraternity, right? So, but it, it was kind of at the same time, it was kind of silly that you have a Pi, which is the the Jewish fraternity, and you're not even having a chapter on the Jewish university like in in the United States. So I was part of the Alpha class. I actually founded the fraternity. or was one of the individuals founding fathers for the fraternity. Actually, I was or I was the Alpha. Sorry, I was the Alpha Pledge class. My apologies. And then uh, and for me, it was exciting because it was a great opportunity. Like I always. Envision like that fraternity life, that brotherhood, that camaraderie, that that passion to be there for a group of individuals. And it's kind of the same that I look at business now is like, I I kind of, I love that camaraderie. I love that teamwork aspect. So it was very interesting to me to get involved. And I just, I just, again, I kind of came out of the came out of my roots and, and I was very social. So I started to like talk to people more and, and get engaged with it. And I love the brotherhood and I'm still very good friends with, you know, quite a few people. My big brother, Mitch, you know, uh, he's in Edmonton and we talk probably every couple of weeks. Uh, so, I mean, it's created some really amazing lifelong bonds and friendships. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to see each other as much as we would like to, but uh, it, it's great that we're able to connect and chat, and, and it, it really built, it really created some of those really lifelong bonds, and I'm, pr- I'm very happy for that experience.
0: So so you go to your know, private Jewish day school, you land up in Israel for a year, and then you're at Yeshiva University. I mean, what were people's reaction when you told them that you're going to go work for Pornhub? and
1: <laughs> So it's not something, like I said, it's not something that I I, I publicly advertise or put out there. Uh, the, the parent company was called Manwin. So it was just very easy to kind of just say like, yeah, I work for an internet consulting firm, right? But to find, so to answer your question, though, when I would tell people, they're like, no, like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, what the fuck, right? Yeah. It's like, tell me about your job. Like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And it's like, the funny thing is, is that, is really like any other job. At the end of the day, you're selling a product to make money and and generate profit. So, I mean, my day was as a product manager was. Uh, so, backtrack. I started off as uh, a project manager, building out an international expansion plan for browsers.com, and so it was a very highly analytical approach. So, I was looking at metrics over Europe and and you know GA data and running predictive analysis. So, I mean, it was it was. Yes, did I have to watch a lot of interesting content and kind of understand the the flavor and the flair that the other markets were interested in? Sure, but at the end of the day, it was still analytics. But I still remember this funny story. I'm going to tell you this. It was like my first couple of weeks, and I remember I was I was on my computer, and and sure enough, there was a Dell content on my screen, and and then like people were walking by, and I quickly switch over to Yahoo. And I'm like, why the fuck am I like, I'm like, I work for an adult company. Like, what do I, <laughs> why am I scared for, right? It's like, why are you on your email? You're supposed to be working on, on that stuff. So it's just, you had to kind of switch your mindset for a, for like a half minute there. But once you did, it was it was just Excel spreadsheets and numbers, right? It's it's advertising, it's analytics, it's affiliates. Um, it, it's like any other industry, but, you know, highly innovative.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the innovation and, and I know I've anecdotally heard that you know the adult industry is you know one of some of the earliest adopters of, of new tech. You know, why why do you think that is? And, and and what were some of the key lessons that you learned from you know working in a company like that?
1: Yeah, I I, I just think that they the foundation there is is based on built on innovation and they're looking to push the boundaries of the products. And, you know, being in a higher risk industry, I think you, you're allowed to do that. They People expect that of you a little bit. So fun fact about the adult entertainment industry is that they created online transaction. Merchant processing, like what we know today, when you buy something online, that whole process of of formulating a transaction online came from the adult entertainment industry. And and if you ever see the there's a whole documentary or a movie on it, it's called Miniman, I believe it is Luke Wilson's in it and the two characters create this I mean he's a brilliant hacker and and I mean high very big drug addict too he creates this he basically buys some like nudie photos and and creates a algorithm that allows you to buy for ten dollars access to this website and he set it up to a little bell and, and all of a sudden you hear in the movie like the guys are sleeping it's like they're on a bender or whatever it is and next thing you know you hear ding. And the guy's are like, what? what was that? And it's like, they made $10. And then all of a sudden, they switches to like two seconds later. It's like, ding, 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 ding. Like the bell doesn't stop, right? And it's just, it's interesting because it started there. And then if you fast forward to when I was over at Pornhub, I mean, we had, we had 10,000 daily visits on a mobile website that we were the first HTML5 adult entertainment website. And it was, I mean, we didn't even know what to do with the traffic. We didn't even know how to monetize it. We just, we just knew we were doing something right. And then we started to like think, okay, how do we leverage all this traffic? How do we like leverage it to like start getting into CPMs cost per thousand impressions, like at the mainstream level, because adult, you know, CPMs are significantly lower due to the higher risk content and, and all of that kind of stuff. But so it was, it was starting to think like, how do we get adult entertainment content more in the mainstream market um, and if you fast forward to today i mean it's it's very mainstream and it's much more like uh, approachable but it it's they're they're just wired differently to try to push the boundaries on innovation and they also have the cash like they have the capital to do so um because it's a highly profitable market if you do it right i mean we were doing i think we were like 70 like 65 70 margins it was crazy how much money we're making and we were doing 150 million a year right so
0: so 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 you go from you know kind of technical uh, you know behind the scenes and you know reading your bio what struck me was the mention of partnerships relationships you know you mentioned partner portal that, that you started what is it about this concept of of, of partnerships relationships that, that 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 interests you I ask that because I completely it resonates with me I think that. People get sales wrong. I, I even hate the word sales. I think it's all about building relationships and meaningful relationships and authentic relationships. But how did that shift occur, where you go from you know behind a, a screen to I guess in front, in front of the screen?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I still spend a lot of my time in front of a screen today. But <laughs> that's a great question. And I think it was it was a shift in mindset for me too. Uh, I always. Shied away from sales. Uh, funny enough, you know, you run a you know run a, a company, and I and I run, head up sales on both Partner Portal and and Arctic Leaf, and it was it was for some reason I had this notion of this idea that being a salesperson was 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 slimy, right? It, like it's like, oh, you're a sales guy, like oh, you must be a snake old salesman, right? So this is why I still have that still have a hate for the word. Yeah, right. I, so so yeah. I don't call in Arctic. I don't call sales sales I call it solution selling so we sell solutions um and what I realized was as I was hiding behind someone that I really wasn't myself and again it was it was about being who I am and taking ownership of 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 the type of person that I am and recognizing my strengths and weaknesses I recognize that I can go into a room with with 30,000 people and walk out with 3,000 business cards that's the type of person I am that's my fucking super bowl right but like, if you have me sit down and like write out like a very definitive process on how things are working, can I do that? Absolutely. Is it really hard for me? Absolutely as well. So it was, it was a mind, it was a mind, a set that I guess I also have a little bit of a larger, than a uh, uh, larger than life personality. Uh I like being in the center of attention. I like getting up in front of people and talking like I, I've done pitch contests, like it doesn't bother me. That's where th- I thrive on that. And instead of, instead of, shying away from it I, I owned it and and accepted who I am and the type of person I am as an entrepreneur and and just started to to gravitate towards my, my my more of my strengths right and then fill out the gap right so bring in my business partner and then surround myself with really amazing talented people who essentially tell me what to do. right So you know uh, I, I, you... I, I always uh, talk
0: about my superpower being kind of self-awareness. And I think that you know this idea of gravitating towards your strengths. You're clearly a self-aware individual. I think guys like you and I maybe take it for granted that it's not as easy as 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 it, it may be for uh, for us, for for a lot of people to to even know what their strengths are. Are there are there certain things that that you've done to help identify you know those strengths and, and double down on what you're good at? Oh, that's, that's
1: a, we can have a whole three hour conversation on that one. So, yeah, so I, first of all, I, I believe in entrepreneurs needing mentors and coaches. Uh, So I invested heavily in different coaches, uh, work with therapists, coaches, mentors. Uh, I spent the better half of a year last year working with a habit coach. Uh, And the reason I hired a habit coach was because I recognized that I had bad habits. And so it's about investing in yourself, understanding your strengths and weaknesses, I mean, a lot of this stuff is known: journaling, you know, talking, listening to, you know, people who have done it before, right? And I think that was a little bit something that was I necessarily wasn't very good at. I didn't listen to people when I maybe should have. And it's funny, I was just I I just joined a call earlier this morning in memory of uh I guess someone, his name is Andy Moffat. He's a Canadian entrepreneur. He just passed away not too long ago, and we were talking about how we can do something for his memorial, and everyone's just kind of like like giving uh, those kind of like. Those funny stories of Andy, right? And my first story was I went in and I gave this pitch I was I was this punk little fucking, you know, entrepreneur and gave this pitch on how I'm gonna build the next social game and how I'm gonna put zang out of business. And I remember he chewed me out like you couldn't believe. I walked out of there like I was pale as a ghost. I you could have heard a pin drop in that room. And but you know what? It was the it was probably one of the best things I needed. It brought me down to reality and said, Hey, you know what? I could do two things. I can go cry in a corner somewhere and, and just say, ah, oh, that guy doesn't know anything and fuck him. Or I can say, Hey, you know what? I need to learn from this and I need to take what he really said to heart. And I need to figure out how I can improve and get better. So next time I that I'm in that situation, I, I can do better. And I, and I can answer the right, the appropriate question. So I think the biggest thing is a little bit for me, like it's the humility and humbleness. And I, and I really try to listen to people who have done it before, right? And, and and take that advice really to heart. And then how can I apply that information to my own life and my own business? Because I don't know everything. I I I mean, heck, business school doesn't teach you jack. Like, I don't, I don't remember this, but like, like I did a cross-border merger with a U.S. company. Like you don't learn how to do any of this stuff at all, yeah. right? They don't teach you how to read balance sheets. They don't teach you how to, teach you how to like P&Ls. Like, like they teach you business philosophy, but... Which is interesting and great, but like until you're in the weeds of it and you get it reps and reps and reps and exposure to things, you don't really know anything.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, young entrepreneurs, you know, don't love to uh, acknowledge that there isn't <coughs> a substitution for experience. There just isn't. Like yeah. it took me a while to come to grips with that because you know you think you're talented, you think you're 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 capable, and the reality is is like you can have all those things, but you don't know what you don't know.
1: Correct, exactly, and and. If anyone takes anything away, like like listen to your peers, like they've they've done it before. There's a reason why they 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 got where they've gotten because they've they've had those reps and they've been in those those more complex scenarios and situations and they've learned from it. So it's it's but yeah, like those young entrepreneurs, like like listen to your advisors. They they've done it. They've done it before. So so I want to talk briefly about
0: the e ecom space. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's so hot been, right now. It's, it's been so it's so hot. fascinating. When I I'm a I'm a watch guy and you know I look around and I look at like a Richard Mille watch which you know goes for millions of dollars because of you know a brand and then you you look at other more complex watches that have no no one's interested in and, and you realize that branding and uh, you know messaging matters a lot. What do ecom brands get right and wrong? Because it really is amazing to see how some of them explode and do incredibly well and 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 some have great products and they just don't know how to sell.
1: Yeah. So today, especially today's day and age and over the last couple of years with COVID, e-commerce has changed a lot and and uh, more and more consumers are looking to to align themselves with brands that that fit their core desired feelings or their core desired values. And those brands that are able to to message that clearly and across all their channels and this full omni-channel strategy, right? Your Like your website, you know, Amazon, you know, Instagram, TikTok, everything has to kind of work cohesively as one unit. And it's, you know, it starts with the experience. It starts with that user experience. The first time you're landing on their store, you know, what are you, what are you seeing? How are they engaging with you? Like, you know, it's, it's that personalization approach. I mean, e-commerce has evolved so much. I mean, you have, the traffic source people coming into a website but the entire on-site experience everything that you see how you're going through the buyer journey the messaging the copy you know like you look at a company like cards against humanity it starts really heavily from the uh from the user experience components right someone landing on there influencer marketing has become big proponent for brands to excel Uh, we had a couple of uh examples we had a a cookie brand that engaged with a rapper when they were in austin texas they were asking like where the best cookies are and they posted something in response to that and now they're a seven to twelve million dollar a year business they went from selling a handful of cookies a day to, (laughs) to having an entire manufacturing facility so it it There's a lot of components, but I mean, it talks like getting the influencers obviously is a big component. And then also not being afraid to put yourself out there like we were just talking about before, right? People want to relate with brands that are doing interesting and fun things. And if you can message that clearly across all your channels, you generally will start seeing success. But at the same time, like you still have to spend money. You have to do media buying. You have to be out there going to shows, getting your brand in front of everyone. It's like you can't just launch a website and then you know it's going to expect you're going to start making millions of dollars a year. You know there is an entire strategy that like our organization, Arctic, does with these these companies, and it starts from what someone lands on a store all the way down through the entire funnel, the retention, the loyalty phases. But again, you have to bring traffic to it, and the messaging has to be clear across all channels. So.
0: What brand does this really effectively? In the past, I've spoken to other marketers, and a lot of them use the example of Nike. And they say that Nike does an incredibly good job of, of what, you, what you're what you
1: describing. So the brand that I'm going to say now, I think they're they're blowing up the internet. Midday Squares, I don't know if you know those guys. Uh, they're based out of Montreal. Uh, Nick, I can't remember his last name. He's a buddy of mine I played hockey with years ago. <clears throat> Him and his wife started a, an all-natural, completely healthy chocolate brand and company it's called midday squares and they are just they have built these massive massive community on instagram they they first of all they record and they show everything that happens behind the scenes the good the bad the ugly the arguments him and, like nick's married to the the ceo their fights they like it was it's like real it's like a fucking reality show man like and then recently they just got they were being sued by uh by by Hershey's for something, whatever we could do, to, like copying. So they just dropped a whole video yesterday targeting Disney, uh, not, not Disney, uh, Hershey, and they launched their own NFT. And they're fucking gone crazy. But they put everything out there. They're completely relatable to the to millennial, to the Gen Z's, because they're so authentic. They're super real. Everyone who comes in has to go through the same interview process. You have to be comfortable on camera. Like they post, check it out, guys. Like it's like, it's unreal. It's the new way of like these, these brands really, really connecting. So that if, if I had to say one brand that's done it really, really well, I'm giving my shout out to my buddy Nick at Midday Squares because they absolutely, they're crushing it. It's unbelievable marketing what they're doing. And because they're so relatable and they're super authentic. You know, it's interesting. When when I started this podcast, one of the, my concerns
0: was that I'm, I wasn't interested in branding my name. I really wanted the brand to be Firepower. You know, when you go down that path of, you know, having that, that sort of radical transparency and, and a brand that's built on, you know, individuals, uh, you know, personalities, isn't that a scary thing? Because, you know, God forbid something happens to, you know, a, a, you know someone within the business and, Suddenly, you know, does does a brand get affected extremely negatively?
1: Yeah, I, I, that's a very good point. I always feared, you know, like Arctic Leaf. You know, is it is it a Josh Grelik kind of show? I like, no. Like we've gotten to that point where I, the brand is bigger than my name. And the same thing with like someone like Midday Squares. Yeah, Nick and and his you know uh, his partners obviously do a great job. But like if you watch their their series, I mean, everyone at their organization and company is engaged in this philosophy. So everyone's bought into that culture. And if you have everyone buying into that culture, you're you've now created the brand is bigger than in one individual. And that's why culture is super, super important. Like being able to tie that all in, the authenticity, and get everyone to buy into your vision and culture is massive for a brand growth.
0: How seriously
1: are these brands taking the metaverse right now? Very seriously. <laughs> this is the metaverse stuff is super weird because I, I'm very bullish on it, but I also Think it's completely stupid uh um, <laughs> it's it's like okay so we screwed up our world right so like vert like physical reality let's go build this virtual reality that we're all gonna play in ready player one and and now there's already things that are coming out, like, oh, I was bullied in the metaverse, and now we need policing. And it's like, so we're doing the same shit we did in the real world, and now we're going to go do it in a virtual world. That's your question. Like, H&M literally just launched a, a store in a metaverse. Uh, yeah, H&M was one of them. There was a couple other ones recently that have uh, Nike did as well. You can't really do anything with them just yet. They're like, they're just, it's a, just a publicity play that like, hey, we're going to be in this world and space. But yes, it's because it's if they don't do it they're they're going to be left behind it's going to be the the blockbuster netflix scenario all over again where they're not adapting to where the world's going you know i'm in i'm in the metaverse i try on a pair of nikes i buy it and then 30 minutes later it shows up my door yeah
0: paint me a picture where this
1: doesn't fuck up our kids i i don't think i can actually
0: that, that's scary I, right? I, I,
1: unfortunately i i do think that this is is like we've, we've already seen what social media has done to our kids imagine taking a child and putting them in an immersive gameplay where you literally, if you get pinched, you can feel that, mm-hmm. right? If you get bullied in a, in a, in a metaverse now, like what kind of mental trauma that's going to create. Now you're switching gears. You don't even know what's reality anymore. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I don't actually think that there is a a world that this doesn't have a negative effect on, on the future generation.
0: What What are you personally doing with your own children
1: to you know, mitigate that risk. So, I'm very strict on screen time. They they don't uh, they don't actually have a lot of access to screen time. So they don't watch TV. They don't you know they have tablets and things like that. So we're using educational content and things like that because it's really important. I'm teaching them how to code. I feel that's really important. 're not on, they're not allowed anywhere near social media at all. I never posted a single picture of my kid on Facebook, Instagram nothing to so the outside world probably most people don't even know I have kids and that was done intentionally because I I've been in this space long enough and I've seen where it's going so we're very protective around that you know so if they do have screen time you know I can monitor that I, I get they're allotted a certain amount of time so if they want more time they have to ask me through like Apple family sharing and all that kind of stuff but it's 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 becoming it's you know it's becoming more apparent that i have to monitor what's going on on the internet and what they're doing there because it's it's a scary place it's a really it's 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 a weird world world we live in right now so and, and i you know i encourage parents to to take that kind of interest as well and especially like something like the metaverse like they're gonna go into these these virtual worlds I mean they're already doing it in Minecraft and Roblox and, and all these other things but now you're getting this massively immersive gameplay where people are gonna go shopping and, and like have lunches and uh, it's it's scary right? yeah, it's scary. Yeah. I, I joked years ago I was in an office uh, with my developer Tim and, and we joked that years down the road we're gonna be renting physical uh, a virtual office space in a, in a metaverse. So the idea of like physical office space will not exist and you'll be able to go into an office putting on a headset and entering an immersive reality. And that's where you're going to have your meetings. And, and Well, is it, is, it, is it
0: paying for the Zoom you know, license, uh, a little mini version of that?
1: Yeah, I, 100% it is for sure. Yeah. We went fully virtual a couple of years ago. I mean, we were doing, I mean, we do company-wide dinners uh, twice uh, every other month. And there's breakout rooms, and we had a New York City comedian do our uh, holiday party a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's just it's just this, the the evolution. I mean, the funny thing is that metaverses they've been around for years. Like these these types of environments and worlds have been there. It's just blockchain has kind of brought this onto the forefront of it and has kind of made this much more exciting. And I, it's it's a bit of a hype show right now, but. You know again it's 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 where the world's going and unfortunately it's I don't think you can really stop it
0: yeah you know I, I I've spoken to other marketers and, and, and a big thing that that a lot of people have mentioned is this this idea of of just building a brand is radically changing and how it's a lot more you know on the street hand-to-hand combat you know that individual touch. Do you think that that's gonna continue? Like, what do you think uh, brands are gonna have to do to adapt to the the, you know, the the evolving world over the next 10, 15, 20 years?
1: Social impact's gonna be a big one. So again, I mentioned, I've talked about brands or, or individual customers or consumers wanting to be, you know, aligning with brands that they feel their core desire values or feelings are being met. So I think that, you know, brands are gonna be investing much more into social impact, right? like planting trees, you know, whether you agree with environmental issues or not, it's still a hot topic. So I I think that that's going to be the biggest thing is, it's just being able to relate to a certain market and really buying into that and sticking to that and understanding where you position and where you're, where you're, where you lie, um, like where your values lie. That's, I think going to be really important. And then, yeah, like I do think like you have to get into digital, unfortunately, that's just the way the world's going. I mean, if you saw yesterday, I, I mean, Canada announced the four billion dollar in a digital innovation fund, right? That they're planning on spending over the next, you know, three to five years. It's just something that I think brands need to kind of get on board with, and those brands that don't, they're just going to be left behind. Um, and and we kind of saw that a little bit over the last couple of years with COVID.
0: Before I let you go, one one last question. I mean, for for our younger audience, there's I, I know there's a lot of people that 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 desire to go into marketing as a career you know if you were giving advice to that individual like hey focus on this where 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 would you focus as a, as a young person entering into the marketing industry crypto nft
1: okay and in, in, in what capacity just understanding that that environment like it is so new like this is like I did crypto 10 years ago. I had a mining rig. I should I should be sitting on a yacht somewhere to be completely honest with you right <laughs> um, Like me and my buddy James we had a mining rig and a data center like we were just we, were, we didn't even know what we were doing, right? Like we had altcoins and cryptos and lights. Oh, we had thousands of doge coins and it was so early and it's the same thing with the NFT crypto space right now. Like people think that it's so saturated, but it's not. So I think that that's where it's going decentralized currencies, cryptocurrency, blockchain, that's like, you're gonna start seeing more and more of this stuff kind of come out, but it's a little bit like the dot-com bubble, right? It's, it's you know, you're gonna see a lot of these companies are coming out of the gate. They have a lot of really interesting ideas, tons of money is being poured into it. But just like the dot-com era, 90% of these companies are gonna disappear. If not more if not if not more right i mean so for every 10 or 100 companies you're maybe left with one right so but if you get yourself immersed in that in that sector now uh, i think that that you're setting yourself up for for long term success and then the same thing being a marketer that understands coding and understands technology is going to be huge that's the one thing like i wish i knew more of is like sitting down and how to code like i can code if i really wanted to and I'm not very good at it but if you have that ability to to test things as a marketer yourself and there's so many tools and platforms out there that allow you to do this with very little coding knowledge drag and drop wizards and things like that but if it was me and I'm starting all over again I'm I'm diving into like I'm learning how to code I'm understanding the NFT blockchain world because I I think that is it's a rocket ship to the moon and anyone who immerses himself into that world it's it's they're writing their own ticket in my opinion. That's great. Josh, I re-
0: really appreciate your time. Um, you know, Before I let you go, where, for those that are listening that want to follow along and, and your journey, maybe reach out. What's the best way that they could do that?
1: Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there. Please don't pitch me. If you message me, like please don't. Like Everyone just sends me something like, oh, let's connect, and they want to sell me something before you ever. Just stop it. Just please, okay? I ignore those completely, 100%. <laughs> like, I just don't want to. Like It's just yeah. like you don't know me from a hole in a wall. I'm not going to yeah. get on a call with you for 20 minutes. And if I did that all day long, I would never get any fucking work done, yeah. right? So please connect me on LinkedIn. Don't sell me or pitch me right out of the gate. I'm on Instagram. I just launched TikTok. So it's all going to be on like just like little tips, 20 second little tips and tricks on like business. And, and then this is, there's some weird trend videos that my assistant's asking me to do. So uh, so go check this out. But um, LinkedIn, Instagram and TikTok over there. And then if you want connect with me on my company, so arcticleaf.io and then partnerportal.io is the other venture that I'm uh, working on right now. So
0: yeah, thanks very much, Josh. And until next time. All right. Thanks, Elon. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time on A Dealmaker's DNA, where you can expect the unexpected.